Welcome. Welcome to Dinger Derby, the official podcast of RedRaiderDugout.com. The only website completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join Keith Patrick twice a week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball, the official podcast of RedRaiderDugout.com, also 100% dedicated to Red Raider baseball. I'm Keith Patrick, and joined tonight to preview the 2023 season, finally, with by Dr. Mike Gustafson and George Watson. Fellas, how you doing? I'm good. Doing great. How are you? I'm good. Hey, we've spent a lot of hours watching this team play themselves across <laughs> the fall and the spring. I think we've probably seen enough of that. We're just about a couple of days away here from seeing them play against somebody else. Gonzaga coming to town. I'm ready to get this thing going. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, I mean, it's always exciting this time of year because, like you said, we've done the fall thing and a little bit of build up to red black, and then two or three months of of downtime and winter, if you will, and then come back and hit it and hit it in late January and the scrimmages and everything get picked up. And here we go. It's a, a similar calendar as every year, but it's always this time of year. It's exciting. And it's maybe even more exciting by the fact that some, a team like Gonzaga is rolling in here, meaning some business this weekend. Yeah, they're definitely meaning business. We'll talk a little bit more about them. I know that there's, a whole lot of things we could talk about, and I'm sure we'll talk about plenty of them. I think probably a good place to start uh, for everybody out there listening, and I've had several people on Twitter, they're like, man, all I want really is a roster. Like, just give me something. George has done a lot of work from his side of things as far as uh, National Baseball, College Baseball Foundation, looking at um, looking at lots of rosters. I think you said we're just about the only one without one right now. Isn't that right, George? Yeah, I, I keep I keep hitting refresh like you know three or four times an hour on the on the web page for Texas Tech waiting for a waiting for a roster to appear and and it was it was down to us and Baylor and Baylor showed up on Monday so I think we're down to one I know we're the last one in the Big Twelve and maybe one of the last one in the country because I was I was going through and and you know trying to find you know guys for Olerud Award watch list and and all that kind of stuff and and every time I hit on a roster it was it was updated so. I think, I think we're the last one out there, it seems like. Well, that's all right. It's coming. We we know that there's, uh, according to Coach Tadlock, at uh, the uh, the first pitch luncheon, we know that the number that they're looking at is 39 on the roster. That includes four guys using COVID years. And so based on what they announced at the tailgate dinner for Red Raider Club, we know that there's about three guys probably that still are looking towards gray shirts things like that, decisions for them to make. We know a roster will be coming out pretty quick, but all of that to say there's a, there's a whole lot of new dudes. That's what it really comes down to. There's, it's, we've heard they don't rebuild, they reload at Texas Tech, and you hope that's true maybe more than most other years because there are a whole lot of new faces on this team. You had 20 guys leave the team through – you know, expiration of their eligibility through the draft, other ways to pro ball and transfer. 
Um, and so, and you got 15 freshmen that have come in plus more transfers as well. And so really maybe just start to talk a little bit about who actually is back recognizable names kind of in the field and on the mound. And, um, I think we can, we can start that conversation really with three, as far as the field goes, you've got, uh, the reigning big 12 freshman of the year, all freshman team, all freshman preseason or no, excuse me, a preseason guy too. in Hudson white behind the plate at catcher Owen Washburn and right field, another freshman, all big 12 guy last year. And then Ty Coleman, who according to outlets around the country is kind of all world right now. He's a preseason, all American. He's a preseason, all big 12 DH uh, between the, you know, those three guys are really your core that saw the most time last year that are back on this squad. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the, you're, you're right about that in terms of a position group. Um, you know, Owen, Owen Washburn out in right field was very productive, obviously, uh, you know, Huddy and Ty Coleman and, you know, Dylan Carter's back and, and, you know, he, he was really diminished at the end of last year, just health related stuff. The, the, the shoulder that he's been battling, the, you know, and I, there was probably some lower back stiffness last year. It felt like just, just from watching him and, you know, he really struggled down the stretch, didn't participate in the fall, at least not in the scrimmages. And then he, you know, all he's done over the last few weeks is hit, I think, four home runs in the last three weekends. And so he looks very healthy right now. Yes. And and we know about his defense. And so, um, you know, probably the most visible, I know we're not talking about the new guys yet, but probably the most visible group of new guys or category of new guys is are the speed outfielders and 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 Dylan Carter saying now hang on a minute and so which is does nothing but help everything in terms of uh you know roster competition and whatnot and so um the, the those are the the position guys that are back Kevin Bazell's a bit of an asterisk because he's um you know Bazell's a bit of an asterisk because he was here last spring but couldn't couldn't play because he transferred in at Christmas last year, a year ago, and uh, it feels like he's been around forever. He's sort of the baseball version of uh, of Jalen Tyson that we've seen him around, seen him around, watched him scrimmage and do all the things. But now he's uh, he feels like he's going to be a core guy in this lineup, not really a returner because he really hadn't played a Division One baseball game, but two uh, two 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 fall two years of fall baseball, one at Dallas Baptist and one here, and boy, he's he looks like a, a a core core lineup, middle of a lineup bat. George, when you look at those guys, and and I I left Dylan Carter off because you're right, George. He was he was diminished last year. The bat was not great, undoubtedly. Um, he hit, I believe, 199 on the season, but uh, certainly a guy in scrimmages here in the spring that has looked really good. But George, when you look at at those returners, I mean, is there a level of excitement for anyone in particular for you? You know, Keith, I think there is, and and the, the guy I'm going to point to, and it's odd, odd that you kind of say this because it kind of goes back to something I was doing yesterday. I'm going to go with Owen Washburn, and the reason I say this is I was at work yesterday. I was listening to uh, the Big 12 uh, Sirius XM preview show they had. They had uh, uh, Mike Rooney and, and another guy on there, um, and they, you know they spent an, a good hour talking about Big 12 baseball and all that kind of stuff, and Obviously, Oklahoma State, TCU were kind of getting the love, and, and that's fine. They've got the two top returning teams coming back. But the thing that got me was 
you know, they were just all kinds of lovey-dovey over Rock Riggio at, at Oklahoma State. And and, yeah. and Rock Riggio's a good player. I'm not going to take him away from that. But I, I kind of got to wondering, and I went back and looked, and I compared Riggio's stats in conference play with both Owen Washburn and, and Hudson White. And lo and behold, Hudson White and Owen Washburn both had better stats than Rock Riggio, aside from – Washburn's strikeouts. I think we all know Washburn had a had had you know dealt with some strikeouts you know during the season, and that's and and that's to be expected sometimes with a freshman. But I mean, otherwise, as far as average on base slugging, you know, homers, RBIs, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, Owen Washburn, you know, produced more at the plate than Rock Riggio. So you know, and nothing I've seen through the fall or this spring with Owen has led me to believe that he's headed for any kind of sophomore slump, knock on wood. So, uh, you know, he's kind of what I'm looking for. I think he's, he's got the potential to be one of those key, you know, you know, four hole, five hole guys that can sit there and, and hit you double digit home runs, drive in, you know, 60, 70 RBIs by the end of the season. Yeah. I think that kind of the toss up in my mind is between, Owen and Hudson White, and Owen has a little bit of ground to make up, so maybe he's a better bet. Who's going to have the bigger breakout season, you know, between those two guys who were kind of your heart of the lineup, this freshman one-two punch you had last year? And then I'd put Dylan Carter on that list too, certainly like what, what Gus was just saying. He's hitting a bunch of bombs. He hit two in the last Sunday scrimmage that we were at. And uh, certainly a guy that looks like he's put in a ton of work. He's seeing the ball really well finding ways on base, multiple ways on base, and and hitting the ball really hard. And so, um, you know, a lot of people – and he's a lovable guy. I mean, he's he's got a great personality, had the big hair for a while there and uh, the mustache and that kind of stuff. But uh, a guy that never wore batting gloves, and now we're watching him wear batting gloves in scrimmages, and he said, yeah, I've been putting in so much time in the cages, my hands are killing me, you know. And so you love a guy that's working, too, uh, to keep his spot in that field. And – Tim Tadlock said that at the tailgate dinner that Red Raider Club did. He called him the best defensive center fielder in the Big 12, and I think that's a fair statement, not just home cooking from a coach, uh, but also a guy that uh, is going to get pushed. You know, And he talked a lot about, Coach Tadlock did, about all of the internal competition that's going to be going on in this team all season long because there are a whole lot of guys there you know, from a new standpoint uh, that are looking for places to get out there and play and looking for time. And I think there'll be opportunities for a lot of them just as they try to figure some things out and, and give guys chances. But I think you've got three between Carter Washburn and Hudson White that have a chance to take big steps forward and have big years. And then Ty Coleman's a little bit of a question mark for me. Um, and, and I say that because, as we've all noticed, Ty hasn't played in a couple weekends of scrimmages. Um, when I did my my most recent preview and and on the RedRaiderDugout.com and put in uh, uh, lineup projections, I didn't have Ty in there as a DH projection because I don't know that exactly he's going to play. Um, he seems like he's he's not sick. He's running around okay, so hopefully he is able to. But there's a question mark there because, man, there's a lot of big bats on this team and these young guys that are going to push for that spot too and a lot of guys you can pencil in that you kind of want in there every day. So that's really it for returners. I, I think we'd all agree Hudson White's your number one catcher. I only got him. I only saw him get shown up once in scrimmages, and it was on Saturday when Braxton Fulford was throwing. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I think that's fair. That's a yep. guy that's spring training with the Rockies right now. And then, 
you've got Dylan Carter that I think is fair to put in center field, certainly with the experience at the moment. Um, and then Owen Washburn that looks like will be in right field. And then Ty Coleman, a little bit of a question mark as far as if the health is there, that kind of stuff. But other than that, Keith, field, I think Keith, Keith, let me understand. Let me, yeah, go ahead. I think the, the, the Dylan Carter situation reminds me a lot of the Parker Kelly situation last year, because, you know, coming, you know, going into last year, we were all kind of thinking, you know, okay, you know, Parker's great defensively, but he hadn't shown the bat offensively in a couple of years. And, he, and and that was a big hole from 21 to 22 going into the 2022 season. And we were kind of thinking the same thing with Dylan Carter. Now, Dylan's a little bit of a different situation. Dylan had the shoulder injury and, and was trying to play through that and stuff like that. And he's had, like you said, he's had a lot of the young guys come in and push him in the outfield, but he's put in the work like Parker did in the offseason and really seems to maybe have found the stroke. Now, obviously, you know, things are going to change when the lights come on on Friday. But from what we've seen right now, you know, to me, the Dylan Carter situation kind of mirrors the Parker Kelly situation going into last year. And none of us saw the Parker Kelly situation coming. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's a, I think that's a good comp. So unless I'm forgetting somebody in the field, as far as major contributors, that's kind of it. Zach Vulatich is back. A guy that you've seen, you saw play in multiple positions last year. We've seen him in multiple positions all throughout scrimmages, and it's another dude I think with these young guys that is looking to claim a spot um, and and pretty versatile tool. But you got to find a place for him. Um, anybody else you guys want to mention from from returners that I'm forgetting? I don't think so. I think that's I think you covered it. I mean, Ryan Brom's part of that picture for sure. Yes, yes for um, sure. and you know, I hey you know, Brome could come out and hit two home runs in a game and never look back. I mean, we, you know, we're, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I'll be, I'll really be curious to see across a number of positions, how coach Tadlock approaches this. And he sees, talked about it very publicly um, about, um, um, you know, how, how, how time gets divided and how, how guys handle, you know, not, not playing for a few days and just different things, but, you know, somebody like Brom could come out here and you know whack a couple of homers or have a big offensive day and never look back. Never look back. I mean, you know, it, it could be the Zach Reams all story all over again. And and um, if if there if there is, I don't know that there's a Zach Reams comp on this team. But if there's anyone close, it would be Brom. But uh, you know that that some somebody like that comes out and has a big day to get started and just explodes out of the door and we're you know, we're, we're done here. <laughs> you know, we're going to find a place for him to stand if you will. Yeah. And, and I'm, I would told you guys, or we've all said it multiple times, DH could be a place that gets really, really interesting. Or like you say there, or it could be not interesting at all. If somebody just locks it right down. And when you guys were at, uh, in Omaha for night of champions for college baseball foundation stuff, um, and Hall of Fame, we saw. I saw Ryan Brome hit one straightaway center field, clear the monster like it wasn't there. And um, I mean, he's definitely got the power, you know, and and the opportunity. And he seems to be a kid that has the work ethic and mentality to get out there and get it done. But there's a lot of other bats, again, you know, in these newcomers that we will get to and talk about too. But on the on the side of uh, of returners and I mean there's only so many pitchers that you can talk about in one time sitting down here and there's a whole bunch of them uh, but I definitely feel like there's a lot more depth at every position and that includes the bullpen 
but you've got one returning starter in Mason Molina coming to the mound that you'll expect to see in the rotation, I would think. And, and Coach Tadlock will have media availability tomorrow. That's Wednesday. And I would assume then we'd at least have a better idea about the rotation. Uh, and then some returning faces in Bo Blessy, Brandon Beckel, Brendan Gurton, and others uh, that'll be back and be, you hope, big contributors. Andrew Devine in that list as well. Yeah, Robinson. Anybody yeah. pitching-wise that you guys want to toss out? Robinson, I would add, yeah. Yeah, Kyle Robinson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Keith, there's just so there's so many guys, you know, in, in a lot of ways the, the pitching staff kind of mirrors the the a lot of the newcomers in that we we've seen that they have the ability to do it, but they just haven't done it consistently. Um maybe outside of Mason Molina. And you know, and Mason was in and out of the rotation, you know, you know, throughout the year, uh wasn't even in the rotation at the end of the year. So I think in a lot of ways the returning pitchers are a lot like the, the the newcomers in that we we've seen what they can do. They just got to do it on a consistent basis, and so some so some it's time for those guys to kind of take the mantle of the the Birdsoul and the Morris and and the Chase Hampton. It's time for the Molinas and the Hamptons, or no, the no, the Molinas and, and the Livingston, uh, the uh, Robinsons, uh, the Gertons. You know, it's, t- it's time for those guys to step up and, and be the leaders of the pitching staff, and that's what I'm looking for from them. I wonder, and to go into your Molina point, I mean, my perception, and disagree with you, me if you guys want to, um, my perception was that Molina went to the bullpen last year less based on performance and more based on necessity, in that you just really needed a guy in the bullpen you could you could bring out and, and really count on. Is that – do you yeah. think that's fair, or was there was it kind of a combination? Yeah, and I think he was a uh, you know I think he had been um, he had a little bit of a lull at one point in there, and I think it, and it was also around the time that Hampton actually that Hampton sort of struggled through a stretch as well when he had a little health deal that and and uh, you know through April, but I mean Mason was also that guy that that could carry sort of a starter's load in innings, but work out of the pen. And so right. could come out and, you know, throw three or four comfortably. And at the very end, he was, he was back starting. And so I, I think his, his, uh, you know, where he is, you know, ho- hopefully as, as George said, he's, you know, he, 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 hopefully he's set up to lead a pitching staff as a sophomore. And uh, that'd be a great thing for this team. Yeah. hundred percent. So any other, I mean, out of those returners to me, if I'm, if I'm picking one that has maybe raised the most my eyebrow the most at least I'm looking at Bo Blessy yeah. uh, as a guy that's really come out and performed he's had a, an interesting path Blessy's out of Midland Lee I remember seeing him pitch in high school he had an injury in high school and then kind of came late came back late in his senior year I saw a whole lot of radar guns at a high school game to see him come back uh, as far as scouts go he was I want to say the number three somewhere in that range um, player in the state and he passed on the draft and went to Nebraska, had a couple of seasons without much work, came back to Midland College and then came back to Tech last year um, and now looks to me like a guy that's really ready to take a big step forward. He's had a, a velo tick up into 99 from what we've heard and, and seen reported in other places uh, over the fall and, and seems to have some pretty nasty off-speed stuff, but saw a lot of innings out of Beckel over scrimmages as well and seen divine a whole lot as well in, in scrimmages. And so 
Um, I don't know if George wants to pick Andrew Devine as his guy once again, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. I, I, I don't feel like jinxing the kid three years in a row. Yeah, so we're right. We need him. We need we him. Good. We need him. Yeah, and, and I, I do feel like, to, as you say that, I think of it, Gus, it seems like a year to me um, when you say we need him. Yeah, you need you need experience. You need reliable arms. But I do feel like you look at every position on this team, including pitching, and there's just a lot of depth and a lot of opportunity for dudes to take big steps forward. Um, and I think that's why you're still getting some rankings. They're not top ten rankings, but preseason, that respect is there because you have a whole lot of talent, whether they're even they're just not all fully proven at this point. Yeah, and I think I think uh, you know you're you're. You're right, and Tim addressed that a little bit, and it was kind of interesting. I thought at the uh, tailgate dinner because he goes, he talked about the fact that um, he talked about the fact that you know what these guys aren't picked in the top preseason top ten, and people aren't talk about them this year like like they they're I don't say used to, but like it's been the last couple years, and so you know down there at twenty three and picked third in the conference or whatever, it you know it's a little bit different different kind of a thing. And, and, you know, is that going to put a, is that going to put a, uh, a chip on their shoulder? I don't know, but, uh, it, you know, relatively speaking, maybe it does, but, uh, you know, I I think I, I, I'll say this. I think that when you're, when you're running through this list of pitchers, um, divine and Beckel are the two guys. And sometimes you, you can get a sense of who they're really grooming for a prominent bullpen role, as, as you're leading into the season by the guys who will pitch twice on those last couple weekends and divine and Beckel, I think both through, I think they both threw in the Friday scrimmage and then came back and threw on, on Sunday. I believe that's right. And, uh, that, you know, that just tells me that they're maybe being groomed for some, uh, you know, perhaps appearing twice in a weekend. Of course, this weekend, there'll be a little bit of, there'll be a little bit, bit of breathing room because you got a Friday all the way to, into a Monday. And so there's an extra day there. So there probably will be some guys pitched twice, but you know, won't, won't surprise me one bit to see those dudes pitching late in high leverage situations. One, one guy, one guy, Keith, I, I think that, you know, maybe is maybe being a little overlooked and maybe ready to make a, take a step up is Josh Sanders. Um, you know, you know, I, we look at Josh, and he's got that funky delivery. Excuse me, I've got some congestion going. But he's got that funky delivery. He, he reminds me a lot of, of Taylor Floyd from a few years ago. Uh, he really, really has a really good, sharp hitting, biting slider, and can and kind of be that same effective kind of guy that Taylor was at the end of games a few years ago. So if he can take that step up and be that Taylor Floyd type of guy at the end of the game, that could be a huge, huge deal. Uh, for you know to kind of help sort out the rest of the pitching uh, pitching staff. Yeah, I was just sitting here looking at his name and and wanted to make sure we mentioned him. So I, yeah, that's good, George. And and there's other guys that are back. You know, Brendan Lysick is back, a left-hander that you'd like to see some out of. Big body guy. Um, you've you've got Garrett Crowley, the transfer from Fordham. I believe that's right. That's back as well. And then and others, you know, kind of up and down the list. One I want to mention that that folks may be wondering, well, why aren't you talking about him? He was an important reliever last year. Derek Bridges, he's a junior this year, left-handed pitcher. Uh, saw him in a lot of kind of high leverage situations as Gus was talking about. Bridges has worked his way through an injury over the fall. And um, we 
think he'll be. I expect him to be available this year, uh, but we don't have an official timeline on when that'll be. But so I don't think early season you're going to see much of him yet. But he's not in a sling or any of those kind of things. We've seen him kind of long tossing out with guys, but not actually out there pitching yet. So that answers kind of that guy. Um, let's and don't about forget about Trenton Parrish too. He's kind of oh yes, absolutely yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah I mean a guy that came in and, and kind of lit the house on fire at the end of games last year, a fiery competitor as a freshman. Uh, you know, and then kind of tailed off, and he had some arm injuries, but he's back, and he looks uh, looks as good as ever. Absolutely, he does. Yeah, Trendon Parrish, folks will remember freshman last year. It's going to be hard to recognize him. It has been for me. He had like <laughs> platinum hair and and glasses and the whole deal, and it, it a little bit different look this year. But yeah, he's looking really sharp. And yeah, folks might remember he got he got injured against Abilene Christian on the road. Uh, and you didn't see him again last season. That that freshman year did get a bunch of saves, though, in a really short amount of time early on. And, uh, yeah, definitely can be a valuable guy for you out of the pen this year as well. So um, let's talk about some newcomers a little bit. And I'll lead into that and just mention the two that um, were reported today. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball reported a couple injuries. And one of them, a guy by the name of Ducart that – that transferred from Oregon State. Uh, there were some fall projections that he would be a uh, second baseman for you. Unfortunate injury for him, and you're not going to see him uh, at all uh, with Texas Tech. And then um, Jack Washburn, the brother of Owen Washburn, also a guy that started at Oregon State, played with Ole Miss and as they won the national championship last year, came to Texas Tech. Uh, we saw him in a sling, and, and he's had an injury as well. Kendall Rogers reported that as a season-ending injury. I think it's important to, to say that it's probably not what you're thinking of, um, but it is, a, it is an injury nonetheless, and so probably won't get a chance to see him either. So, you know, time will tell what comes with him and draft and all those other things. Maybe he's a, a Red Raider next year, maybe he's not, but uh, not a guy that you're going to see. So to start with the field, and, and I count him as a newcomer. Coach Tadlock said he counts him as a returner, but I think Kevin Bazell is, is a good one to talk about, as Gus was saying, a guy from Dallas Baptist. We got to see him in scrimmages last year when he came, and I remember all of us saying, dang, I wish this guy was available right now because <laughs> he is a stinking player. Yeah, We've seen him, seen him behind the plate. I think I put him as a number two option, but that's a really close one-two with him and Hudson White, I think. Uh, but have seen him do a lot of work at third base. You guys think that that's going to be his spot to hold for now? Well, I I think he'll be in the lineup somewhere, um, <laughs> maybe I, every day. I know, and I and I it really could be a situation where I mean I think it figures to be a situation where he's you know he he's catching or playing third or something seems to be getting more work right now at third base than any anywhere else. But it's also easier to work a guy at third and then, you know, I don't say necessarily move him to first. He's yeah. We haven't seen a bunch of that out of him. I'm not saying he hadn't done it, Um, but he, uh, you know, whereas last year we saw Hudson, Huddy and Stillwell going back and forth at first. Bazell seems to be taking a ton of ground balls at third. And I think, I think he's going to get some time over there. If he struggles defensively, then they'll, they'll wait and see where it goes. Uh, you know, maybe there's some defensive substitutions or maybe they'll have to move him if he's hitting a ton. Who knows? But uh, right now he's getting a bunch of work at third. And and um, But I, I think the real key there is I, I just think he – I think he's a core core lineup, middle of the lineup hitter and 
you know, going to do big things and, and, uh, and, uh, and I, I don't think there's a whole lot of a, a drop off defensively. I mean, I, I think this time next year, we're going to have, we're going to be, there's going to be a bunch of scouts flocking around our ballpark to, to watch him at Hudson White and get their, get their draft prep ready. Cause I think both yep. those guys have a chance to be drafted next, next year, 2024. Yeah. You've got Hudson White. I, th- I mean, I think there's an obvious there. Bazell, I would imagine you see him catch, but then again, the third base piece of the equation will be interesting to see how that plays out. And then a freshman coming in named Dylan Maxey. Gus, I know you've talked a lot about Dylan Maxey on the radio. Yeah. We saw him hit more bombs in the fall than anybody. Um, not that that pace has continued exactly the same, but we're still seeing him do it uh, in the spring when arms are starting to round out and he's still facing good pitching and and uh, putting some really good balls in play. Not a big dude by any means. A small-bodied guy uh, that packs a lot of power in there. I think it's fair to say you you there's a tick of uh, defense that he's behind those other two guys. Not saying that he's a bad catcher by any means defensively, but not quite. I mean, to not be at the level of Hudson White is not a is a, not necessarily a knock on a freshman catcher, uh, but another dude to be really excited about, in my opinion. I agree, and um, he's he's. Uh... I think the the defense isn't far off, and it won't surprise me one bit if uh, if there are three catchers starting for a while, and if Dylan hits, he's gonna make he's gonna complicate that scenario a bunch, especially if Hudson White and Bazell are also hitting. Um, something's gonna have to give. But Max, I think he led the home run team in home runs in the fall, and uh, I remember him you know, sort of famously having a three home run game. Yeah. And uh, all he does is find barrels, 5'9", 165 pounds, which is about the size I was coming out of high school. And he even wears number 26. So I got my guy right there. I got my guy. And uh, he's uh, from – No, no, no. Uh, But he's from Friendswood, um, uh, which is Ryan Shetter country. And, you know, just – I mean, he's just a wired-up little dude. And uh, there's some juice in that body. And I, you know, I'm, I am, I am really interested in seeing what happens with him because he's a player, and uh, I, I think he's, you know, I, I kept wanting to say, all right, is he hitting the best pitching? Is he doing this and that? But he rolls into the spring, and it's still just barrel, 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 and hitting the ball a long ways, and just a, you know, uh, a really interesting player. And I think the, I think like a lot of freshmen, the catching has gotten better through the, through the fall and just, you know, as, as things sort of speed up and the receiving's a little bit better. I'm, I'm like you guys, I think he's the third option back there defensively, but it's not a, it's not a gap where the only way he gets on the field, at, at least as we sit here at this point, you know, we're, we're not sitting here saying the only way he gets on the field is if he's a DH or something. I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. Cause I, I think he's going to take a turn behind the plate. Yeah. I honestly think that, Maxie's emergence, especially offensively, is what has allowed Tim and the guys to move Bazell over to third base and be confident in being able to do that because they see what Maxie's been able to do offensively and, and that he may be able to give them that production. And then, like you said, he's just just a maybe a quarter tick behind defensively, and I think that's something that they can work with and, and he will get better as experience goes. So he, he may be the third option at catcher, but you know, to me right now he might be 2A that will allow them to leave Bazell out at third base a lot more than maybe they thought they might, you know, going into the fall. You know, going into the fall, you know, we saw a lot of Bazell and White behind the plate in some of Maxie, but the more we saw Maxie hit, 
then the more we started to see him Bazell at third base, I see. I, so I think the two, uh, the two, uh, the two moves have been correlated there. I agree with you, and I, and I think you know, and we've talked about it. You know, sitting there watching these guys play. I mean, you've got three catchers, and you kind of want them all in the lineup every day. You know, or they're certainly a candidates for that. And so, again, another one of those day off guy, Maxi being one of them, you know, what does DH look like and who's locking that down? What's the opportunity? There is another injury to mention in there. A guy that another freshman that came in, um, in Travis Sanders, one of your, one of two of your freshmen that were drafted, uh, Justin Apodaca from redraidersports.com put together that Sanders is your only top 100 recruit that was drafted and came to camp that did come to campus. And so really highly touted guy, uh, working through a little bit of an injury, not a season-ending kind of deal, but he'll have a few weeks away. And I mentioned him because we saw him do some work at third base. Like just about everybody coming out of high school, he was a shortstop um, in, in high school, but but a guy that did some work over there and then um, now working through a, an injury that seems like it's not super severe, um, but not putting in time at, in the field right now. So that kind of opens that up a little bit. Let's just work our way around. I mean, how about first base? We've got you got Gavin Cash, who's a transfer coming in from the University of Texas. Uh, we've seen Damian Bravo, a freshman, a guy that you really like the the build, the frame, the projectability on him. That's done some work over there. Brome has done some. Really, everybody's done some work at first, one way or another. We've seen Huddy over there. Um, Zach Vuletich has probably played first. He's played everywhere else throughout the scrimmages. But what are you guys' thoughts about first base? Yeah, I'll. I'll put a quick asterisk on that. Vuletic is also the fourth catcher on this team. Yes. Yeah. It, may not, it may not get to him very much, but, uh, you know, Vu's, Vu has catching in his background, as we know, and he's caught a ton in these scrimmages. Um, and when he's not catching, it's the same same routine. He's running around in the, you know, second, third, left, right, <laughs> whatever. And so for Vu, the, the versatility is part of the conversation. But if, if that's your fourth best catcher, you're doing okay. Um, but yeah, I think, I, you know, Gavin Cash, big, strong kid. Uh, he started against Tech for the Longhorns last year on Saturday, which was the Kurt Wilson Grand Slam game. Um, left-handed hitter, um, pretty good defensively at first. I, I was impressed by him last fall, even to the point that I mentioned it to the coaches, like, hey, am I you know, am I am I just seeing some lucky grabs? Because those guys are with them every day, whereas we pop out there and watch a little bit of a practice. And like, I think this is what I'm seeing. And they were like, "Yeah, we've been pleasantly um, su- surprised." And this is September talk, just to give it right. context. But he's also hit some balls a long way. This is a strong young man, and so another guy. He could be another guy that comes out and tallywhacks a couple this weekend and you don't we don't even look back and he's in that lineup every day and 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 there you have it um you know you, you said it and Hutz, Huddy's worked over there Bazell's taken some over there Coleman's taken some over there um but I you know I I think whoever whoever's going to be there needs to hit coming out of the gate because boy there's some options and you 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 guys have said you you threw Brom's name in there very appropriately. Um, you know, whoever hits is gonna is gonna take that deal unless it's a defensive mess. But I, I think there's a ton of options there and and uh, a real opportunity for some offense for this team. Which you know, this team's pretty fortunate in that they're gonna get key at bats and 
key at bats out of a out of a catcher and a third baseman. You know, key probably core of middle of the lineup at bats, as opposed to you know all of that needing to come from corner outfield and corner infield. And so, man, you know, if if you can stack another hitter up there at first base, that's that's you know finding barrels and creating havoc. It it really sets this offense up to be pretty good. If you then throw in contributions from Carter and hopefully Washburn and whatever in left field, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah. To, to me, Keith, you know, I think cash was the, the, the biggest get in the transfer portal for this team. Uh, just because not only just because of his potential coming out of high school, but also he went out and had a really, really good summer in the Cape and, and just showed everybody, you know, his potential and then kind of, you know, pick that up. And, you know, in the fall and, and then again in the spring. So I think they kind of had the idea when they signed him that he's going to be the guy at least to pencil in, you know, at first base to start the season. Now, like Gus said, there's there's a, been a lot of competition over there from from newcomers, freshman Damian Bravo, uh, Ryan Brome has played well over there. Uh, we've seen, you know, a uh, kid out of Washington, uh, a potential two-way kid, Tabor Fash, playing over there and playing well. That's right. So, uh, then, you know, there, there's there, – we're going to say this about pretty much every position on the field this year, but there's a lot of competition there. So, uh, yep. you know, so, so if, if cash, you know, comes out and struggles, you know, if they won't hesitate at all, I think to, to put the next guy in there and, and, and see what they can do. And Tabor fast has been playing opposite cash a bunch in these recent scrimmages yep. on the day he's not pitching. And that, yep. that dude's a hitter. And then there's interesting, a two way guys we've had around here in a while. Good looking player. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we keep talking about depth and, and one, we know we see all these guys out there and there's so many options and, and, you know, you could literally field two teams that would be very competitive and you'd really like to watch. Um, but the other side of it, you know, there's some things we see a lot in scrimmages that we have not seen this year at all, fall or spring. Tim Tadlock hasn't caught. Good hasn't played a position (laughs) in the field. Joe Hughes hasn't, you know what I mean? Like nobody's kid is out there playing. You've just had so many dudes to work in and and there are a bunch of them. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, but you kind of go to first base, you talk about hitting and, and uh, I, I think about Moneyball and Ron Washington. It's incredibly hard, you know, it's incredibly and, uh, hard. Yes. you've had some great, you had great first baseman at, at Texas tech. But I think when you, when I look at cash and I'm not saying this is a direct comp, but I look at him and I start thinking, like Hunter Hargrove, a guy that's quick off the bag, di- making diving plays, athletic to it to the glove side and toward and to the foul line. You know, as far as as making some defensive plays over there. Now, does he know everywhere to be? You know, all that stuff that's a little bit more beyond me. You know, as far as defensive positioning and covering and all that stuff. There's a lot to learn uh, at that position. But yeah, I think it goes back to the bat because I think, knock on wood. To me, this is a year where one through nine, you can be very offensive and push some people. I don't see – there's no need this year for there to be a hole in the lineup anywhere uh, to make that sacrifice for defense because you have so many options. I agree. I agree, yeah. and I hope I hope that's the way it plays out because um, – it, it, uh, you know, it, it, you know, and some of that is just guys staying healthy and this and that, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't, you know, time will tell on that, but it, it's sure it, you know, I, I, Brooks and my son and I were talking about that and, you know, the 2018 team by the end of the year was, you know, that, that one through eight was fearsome. And then it was 
freshman Braxton Fulford, who had really survived and won that catching job down the stretch and, and held all that down during the postseason. And it was, it was really before he was totally ready as a hitter and was, uh, you know, it wasn't anywhere near what he became, obviously. But, uh, you know, and his, his responsibility at that point was defense. And so it was one through eight and then Brax. And, uh, I don't know that it needs to be that this year. Now we'll, we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see how things shape up and health and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, it, it should be a one through nine type offense. And, uh, you know, then it, then it's, you know, then it just comes down to who's performing. Yeah. All right, let's move over to second base. I'm glad y'all brought up Tabor fast. Yeah. That's a really good point with him. There's plenty to talk about with that guy. Um, Second base, as I said, Jake Ducart was a projection, at least in the fall, and talking head-wise, I guess that's what we are too. Um, not a guy that you're going to see around. I'd say that the guy we've seen do the most work over there is is a dude named Austin Green, um, has done a lot of work pretty exclusively at, at yeah. second base. And then you've sure. seen some middle infielders. You've seen Tracer Lopez over there. You've seen Cade McGar that we'll talk about more You know when we kind of get back around to third base. But – um, you know, thoughts on second base and, and what you're expecting there. Yeah, Green's the one that's there every day. And uh he's another guy that's an interesting player. He's he's flashed some leather at a couple of key times, some really nice double plays, and uh you know, he, he's just he's an interesting looking player talking about a switch hitter. And uh I don't I don't know that he's got big home run juice, but I think he's the kind of guy that could hit a bunch of doubles and play gap to gap and do some things that way, but it, my guess is Coach Tadlock will start this year um, offensive at second base. And then, you know, how, how things shape out, how, how things shape up and who who hits and this and that will, you know, will we'll define it. Or if you've got a defensive hole there, then, you know, then, then maybe that's a spot at which there's a sacrifice. But I think, um, you know, I, I – I, I won't be one bit surprised if Green gets it, and with the intent of it being a, being a, uh, you know, and 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 with the intention of creating some offense there. Yeah, I think I think right now, kind of like Cash at first, it's it's Green's job to lose for me right now. Uh, you know, to me, you know, in the times I've been able to get out, at least in the spring, he's he seems to maybe have had a consi- sneakily consistent spring mm-hmm. preseason offensively. Uh, seems like he's always getting on base. He's always getting a hit. You know, driving one to the gap like things like that. And I think the thing with, with with Green is you've you've got the potential to have so many freshmen, so many newcomers on the field that his JUCO experience is going to be valuable for this team, both in the field and and at, at the plate. You know, in, for a team that you know is going to need to develop some experience early on. So I think the fact that he's sitting there. Maybe as a, a six-hole, seven-hole guy, maybe a guy that can kind of you know be a, a second leadoff guy for that lineup, uh, you know, to, to kind of kickstart the seven, eight, nine part of the lineup. Uh, I think is going to be huge for this team. That's kind of where I see him at right now. Yeah, I tend to agree, George, and and I think that there's there's a balance there. You know, if I'm Tim Tadlock, which I am obviously not, but there's a balance there when you look at. Offense, defense, and then I think experience in this particular year is is important, you know, and, and how many how much time on a field can you get out there? And I looked at it the other day. 
And you've got a couple guys between Ty Coleman and, and a, a transfer named Nolan Hester that we'll talk about in a little bit that have a whole bunch of at-bats. And then after that, it's a pretty solid drop-off to Dylan Carter, who has quite a few at-bats in college, but but nothing, you know, not blowing the doors off, you know. You're, t- you're talking about more than 500 or close to 500 for those first two guys. So anybody that's seen a bunch of pitches and, and been on a field a lot at the collegiate level, I think is valuable. And uh, Green came in from Weatherford College. He slashed 323, 435, 585 over his two seasons there. Now, I know that's a completely different level, uh, but it's a dude that's at least played a lot, and and I tend to agree with you there. And I like the chemistry that he seems to have built um, in the middle infield. And we actually just saw Saturday uh, – We've seen a lot more double plays turned throughout the scrimmages, and Saturday turned a really sweet one. Uh, caught one ranging, and it was a behind the back flip, you know, to a charging shortstop, and and they make the double play and turn it. And I think that's the kind of stuff you've you've missed that a little bit. Um, didn't see much of that last year, and and it's been something that's been a strength in years past. And you'd like to see it back. And he seems like a dude that's ready to do some of that. Yeah, I agree. He he's a little more nimble at second base than maybe his. Uh, <laughs> His first, you know, his your your first impression when you see him run out there. Like over time, we've seen him flash some leather in a way that, you know, he he and Burns have teamed up on a couple of really interesting double plays, and it's it's just an, he's an interesting looking player. I mean, he certainly looks better there than when we saw Owen Washburn at second base randomly <laughs> one time. So <laughs> no, no way to get Owen Washburn, but yeah. definitely not his natural position. Um. Let's hop back over to third. We talked a lot about Kevin Bazell, seen him there a ton. Um, but the other guy that we've seen a lot there is Cade McGar, a freshman, uh, that's that's turned in a fair amount of time there. To me, that's a that's a choice too right now. But again, kind of back to the catcher conversation, it depends on where everybody shakes out. And uh, but not to not to say in any way that he's a bad option to hop in there. But you know, freshman and, and definitely has some growing pains coming ahead of him just automatically. Yeah, he, he's he's also pitched a little bit here in the in the spring and uh you know pretty good arm really tall slender kid and uh you know he, he's he's one of the guys that can move it, it appears all over the infield at least in terms yeah. of the second shirt short third thing and so i think he's uh you know there, there's probably a, a good bit of you know his, his versatility will be a key thing for him i think this year yeah i think keith with, with cade the the thing is, you know, I think there's 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 different guys ahead of him at each one of the three infield spots other than first base. But he's one of those kids that you know, if you put him out there, you're you've got all the confidence in the world in him because you've seen him have you know some good abs. He's played really well defensively. He's got great range. So there's 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 nothing wrong with putting him out there. He's just behind some guys at this point. Yeah, I agree, and yeah, he's a. McGar's a top 200 guy out of Frisco Liberty, um, nine and a half grade from perfect game. I mean, he's a, he's a definitely a dude. He's just a guy to me, you look at him and and you kind of know, Hey, physically he's a freshman. He's not a small guy, but he is a slim guy. And he's a, he's a guy that strength and conditioning and nutrition is going to dramatically change his body freshman to sophomore year. And I think it'll, it'll yeah. serve him well. Um, and, and that's again, no knock on him, just, just kind of the reality of it. I think you put it right, George. So let's hop over. I don't have any other options at third that I've noticed. Anybody else you guys wanted to mention there? No. Well, I mean, other than Hudson. I mean, Hudson, Hudson. yeah, Huddy, the catcher's in and out over there. And then, uh, you know, you, you see Coleman take some ground balls over there, you know, and that's certainly part of his 
DNA, although he's still dealing with that, you know, probably some reduced arm strength from the injury. Um, so how, how much time he would get there, I don't know. But, um, and certainly Vuletic, you know, he, <laughs> we named Vu at half of these positions. I mean, literally, we've seen Vuletic through scrimmages and gameplay last year at basically everywhere except for pitching and, and shortstop, I think. Um, so hopping over to shortstop, seen two guys over there mainly. Um, Tracer Lopez has been over there quite a bit, and then Will Burns. Now, completely different players, and Burns is also – and really both of them are an interesting uh, thing, and it's something that Coach Tadlock touched on uh, at the first pitch luncheon with you, Gus. Two guys that have reclassified to come to Texas Tech, graduated high school early. Lopez, a full year. He was here in the fall. Burns graduated in December. He came in in the spring. Burns is also a two-sport guy and is a preferred walk-on, I believe, uh, with the football team. He's a quarterback. He was a very good quarterback in California. Um, you know, again, very different physically. Burns is a is a full grown guy. You know, as as a dude that should be a senior in high school right now. Um, I think we've comped the arm to Michael Davis, the body a little bit to Orlando Garcia, but Lopez, more of that smaller, twitchy player over there. Both have played a good shortstop in scrimmages. Uh, Burns is just a guy out of the hand that the the arm seems special to me. Yeah, and I think um, I think. You know, Tim talked about at at the first pitch luncheon that you know getting him in at semester uh, was a move, probably more than anything else, to to get him here, get him on campus because the draft was going to be a real thing for him. And when you see him, you're you know, I'm I'm guessing we're talking about a six foot two, one hundred and ninety. I haven't looked that up to see what it is. Uh, six two, one seventy five. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I would have put him. I would. Ar- I would argue that's potentially closer to what you're saying, Gus. I'd. I'd almost even go six three with him. Yeah, but you can also see when you see that, and you go, "Oh, yeah, that was a high school kid." Yeah, the draft was going to be a real thing for him. Now, um, you know, Coach Tadlock's also been very public about the fact that Coach Kitley and um, Coach McGuire, uh, football Kitley. Zach uh, were involved in his recruitment. He's not here on a football scholarship, so it's not a football thing. But I think the intention is that he's going to at least get a crack at, you know, some sort of a an opportunity with the football team this summer slash fall. Um, you know, but he he's when you see him, they, like he looks like he looks like a drafted a, a draftable high school shortstop, big, good looking kid, graceful. The arm is real. The interesting thing, we and we haven't seen a ton of him because obviously he was playing quarterback in high school and um, you know out, out in California and not here, uh, so we haven't seen a ton of his at bats. But he's driven some balls hard to right field, and um, you know even even some of his louder outs have been balls that he stayed, you know he stayed kept the barrel inside the hands and shot balls the other way in a way that makes me think that you know he he he's probably going to be able to handle breaking stuff and. And um, and hit now, you know, the the other side of this conversation is Tracer Lopez, who you know the reclassification and all that you just said doesn't need to be repeated. Probably not a draftable guy out of high school because you know Tracer's a short little dude. Uh, this says I've five had one fifty. Yeah, and uh, and and so he's very smallish and a little more of a slap hitter can run. 
some of those things. And so probably not a draftable guy out of high school, but, you know, Tim talked about he may be, you know, he, he, somebody's going to be interested in him here in a couple of years. Uh, versatile, you know, he may be the guy too, and we'll see how this goes. But uh, if they really try to get defensive at second base, he may be the option. And, uh, you know, whether that's for a few innings or whether that's for a weekend, um, but he's, you know, he he makes all the plays. The arm's not as big and he's not as sort of pedigree looking dude like Burns, but he, he makes enough plays and does enough dynamic things that I don't think, you know, I think, I think there's a real competition at shortstop between two, two guys that have a very, very different styles to their game. And this is going to be interesting to see. Yeah. From from my perspective, and I'll be interested to get maybe your take on this, Gus, the, the, I wonder if the decision will come down to what kind of player they want in the lineup because, because of their stature, you're talking about two different kinds of hitters. Like Gus said, you know, to, 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 you know, for Will Burns, he's more of a three through eight type of hitter. Whereas, whereas Lopez is either your leadoff or the guy in the nine hole that can help turn the lineup over because he's, he's crafty. He slashes, he gets on base. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, he, he'll, he'll turn you know, with some speed. He'll turn an infield, you know, Gork into a single, stuff like that. So I wonder if, if it will determine or if it will depend on what kind of, lineup Tim is looking for does he want that guy at the top of the lineup or does he have somebody else in mind to where he can play birds and in, in the middle of the order so that's kind of where it comes to me is is I think the the construction of the lineup might determine who your shortstop is because I think in all of the other aspects they're they're pretty equal in my mind yeah they're different but yeah it's 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 definitely a a competition and whoever's productive there and, you know, certainly takes care of things defensively. And, you know, that it's going to be interesting to see. They're two, two yep. good looking players and it'd be, it'd be an, you know, it'd be, it's, it's, it's it'd be an interesting roster to see both of those guys in the middle infield. If one of them moved, I would think it would be more likely now Burns can probably play third, but it would probably be more likely that a tracer would move to second if they, if it came to that yeah. you know, for whatever reason. Then I think you've got a pretty dang uh, athletic middle infield. And I, and I was ready to make that move, Gus, honestly, until you know Green has had this kind of spring he's had. Yeah. I thought that they would go ahead and maybe move Lopez over to second, but Green has, has kind of come on in, in with this preseason spring and said, you know, hang on a minute, and, you know, I, I kind of want in on this too, so. Well, and I do think, and this is backtracking a little bit as you talk about offense, defense, and second base and some of that, and you, it kind of to expand on your point back at first base too, Gus, as far as who's hitting, it's probably fair to say too, Cash's, Cash's bat cooled a little bit uh, in January from the fall, kind of yep. going back to him too. And so, it, not I, like you said, George, kind of his to lose at first base, but then maybe there are some other options there if needed as far as yeah. offensively. So, you know, oh, that yeah. always plays into the equation for sure, and it kind of still is at all these play, all these positions. So, outfield, ready? <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> okay. I'll run through a few guys here, and then we – because I think there there's a lot of intertwining, and I think it's – we probably agree that Owen Washburn – it right field is his to lose at this point. I mean, he's certainly turned in the time. 
Um, I think you can see other guys out there, but I do think that Owen Washburn is probably your right fielder. Are we agreeing on that? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's his to lose. Yeah. Yeah. And so then the rest, uh, we talked quite a bit about Dylan Carter. He's looking good offensively, looks healthy, um, elite defensively. There's no, no question about that. He was in the sports center top 10 and opening weekend last year in Arlington. So stay healthy, Dylan Carter, there's a center fielder, but then you've got a couple of dudes and Gage Harrelson, a freshman that's come in. Um, this guy is an absolute burner and we can talk about him offensively too, but I'm going to run through a few here. Harrelson, his sixties clocked at 6.25, 625 for comparison. If anybody remembers how fast Max Marshock was, um, he was a 636 60. And so Harrelson quite a bit faster. I mean, comparatively, and then another guy named Jarrett Curtis. And by the way, Harrelson comes from Kathleen, Georgia, which is about three and a half miles from where Gabe Holt's from in Georgia. And then uh, a guy named Jarrett Curtis that's come in as well. And he actually runs three tenths of a seconds faster in the 60 as far as he's clocked at 622, an absolute burner. Um, both of those guys went to the draft combine and they had the two top fastest shuttle times in the MLB draft combine. They're both on campus. We've seen them both in the outfield. And then let's make it really complicated. Guy named Nolan Hester, long, long career at Wofford, four-year career, and now has transferred to Texas Tech. Um, surprisingly athletic and a really good hitter as, as far as we've seen. And then Drew Woodcox, who you'll remember played his freshman year at Texas Tech. He transferred to Rice last year, played against you when he was with Rice, and, and the Red Raiders were down there. And now he is back, and we've seen him in the outfield, particularly in left field a lot. Um, and he's been hitting well as as well. Um, so, did I forget anybody? <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I had. I mean, I, yeah, you, there, there's probably eight guys that have played a considerable amount out there. Um, that's automatic. He's played everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and that that's true. And now that I say that, nine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, think about it. Just let, let's run through these names: Carter, Harrelson. Curtis, Washburn, Bravo, Brome. Bravo's been out there a bunch in right field, running around making plays. Hester, Vuletic, Drew Woodcox. I mean, there's nine guys. And, nine uh, guys. And so, yeah, ton of, ton of left, right. Uh, certainly some guys better than others defensively and all that, but um, nine guys that, that you know, won't, won't surprise us a bit if they're getting some run out there at some point. Certainly, there's DH and first base candidates mixed in on that list, no doubt. Um, there's an opportunity to put three burners in the outfield. Um, you know, ten, 10 years ago, Coach Coach Tadlock had I, what I used to refer to on the air as his jet package when he could put Devin Conley out there, and I don't even remember who all was in that in that list. Uh, Zach Davis. He, Zach Davis. Yeah, Zach D. And um, I think our little left fielder, the um, pinch hitter. Oh, Brooks would know his name, but, um, um, and then they could go big and, 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 uh, you know, they could go big and put offense out there. And so, you know, this deal this year has a chance to put three burners on the field at the same time. There's also tons of right left options in that mix. Um, you know, I, I think, um, and, and left field will be really interesting. You know, Jarek Curtis, I thought has been much better in these spring scrimmages. Yeah, just, just a big jump yeah, spring. Yes, spring. yes, the contact has been better. 
Um, you know, it's funny because he, he's had a couple weekends where he's lined out about five times. And I, I know Joe and them keep those kind of stats. And, you know, if, if you're posting batting averages in the locker room like we did 100 years ago, Jarek may not have big, pretty numbers, but, man, he's barreled a ton of balls, which is a good thing. And uh, you you want elite speed like that, him and Harrelson. You want those dudes putting the ball in play. Roll it somewhere and give yourself a chance. We see those guys do a ton of bunting, uh, pushing the ball around. And, again, if you're a corner infielder and those guys are up there threatening to bunt, it changes some things. And, you know, that that's and that's just implying that they're out there we talked about Dylan Carter hitting four home runs in three weekends, all to left field, um, a couple of them huge homers. And so, I, you know, what, what we've got in this group, I don't know, but hopefully it's a productive group because it's just like we were saying with some of these other spots, it's not a good year to get off to a slow start. You may, maybe you may, you, you may be sitting for a while. It's, it's amazing how, how, much, how much talent you've got in this outfield this year uh, you know, when, when last year you were having guys out there that that might not really be outfielders in a lot of ways. Um, to me, right now, I think it's it's going to start with Nolan Hester in left field because I think he's probably in in my book. If you know, probably if not your number one, your leadoff hitter, he's your number two hitter in the lineup. And I think you know because of what he's been able to do uh, offensively. You know, they said he was the best guy out there surprisingly in the fall and I haven't seen anything in the spring to, 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 to make me think anything different uh, from what we saw, um, you know, going into, 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 into practice, I would have told you probably I would have put Gage Harrelson in center field, but I think Dylan Carter definitely has played his, his way back into that situation. And maybe right now it's, it's Dylan's job to lose at in center field. But I think the hook could be very, very short. Uh, you know, given the, the amount of talent that is out there. Uh, and then, like you said, you, you know, I think you've got Ryan or uh, Owen Washburn in, in, in right. I think he's pretty solid there. So, uh, you know, but then, you, you, like you said, you got a guy like Curtis that you can put out there. Got, you know, if you want to go offensively, you know, if you want to go offensive in the outfield, you can put Drew Woodcocks out there. So there's just so many, there, there's so many different types of players. It gives you so many different options to be able to play with a lineup. And it would not surprise me, you know, one bit in these first four games if we see, you know, three or four different, you know, offense, you know, different outfield combinations. I've thought that too. I don't know if opening weekend, how much of that you'll see versus considering the quality of opponent in Gonzaga or if that'll be a Western Illinois thing where you see four yeah. games of, of different lineups you know but I agree with you that I think there's some platoon action going to happen out there I've been very impressed with Drew Woodcox and Hester um I, I like the experience you know I particularly with Hester I like the experience on the base paths yep. and you know just kind of running with your head up and knowing what's going on and just being an older player I yep. like that too and it kind of goes back to that way the experience type of situation but yeah I mean there's no bad option here, and the other guys Gus mentioned too in in Bravo and Brome and and yep. Gulatich, and I mean there's there's just it, it's an embarrassment of riches, and it probably plays out the most in the outfield. I would say right now. Yeah, and and it's it's worth noting. I mean, it, it not that it's super important, but Stillwell, uh, Cole Stillwell, and and Nolan Hester, high school teammates. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Hester obviously had headed headed east for his first four years of college, but he's here now. And, uh, you know, I, 
I'm, I echo everything you've said. It's just, there's a, there's an interesting connection there to a, a recent red writer. Yep. So like I said, with pitchers before we can talk about them for hours, um, any particular new coming pitchers that you guys want to bring up and, and talk about, I think there's at least a couple that are, that are certainly worth mentioning or, or digging into a little bit. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Zane Petty is the, was the drafted freshman last year, you know, drafted out of high school, um, obviously turned down the draft to get him to, you know, to get on campus. And, uh, you know, the, the, you know, it's a good arm. Um, he's actually been roughed up the last couple of weeks, um, um, in, in inner squads, but, it's still a good arm. He, he's yeah. going to be fine, and he'll he'll you know just as the confidence comes, I think he'll uh, you know he'll be fine. Zach Erdman's another good looking um, you know good looking freshman, left handed kid, taller, six three, one eighty, and and I think the arm's good with him too. And you know th- those are the kind of guys. It's it's hard for me to it's it's hard for me to say that that one either of those dudes will carry an innings load, even like. Molina carried last year, much less, uh, you know, to, to, to throw a, Hey, are you, a, are you the next Gingery or Martin or <laughs> Killian? It'd be great if, if there's one of those in there, you know, guys that are just lake ready like that. But, um, you know, if, if there's, if, um, you know, the, the, these, these guys are the kind of dudes that could be interesting on into April and May that all of a sudden they get out there one day and things start, things are clicking in a way. And I don't want to say start clicking as if they're not now, but that, you know, that they're, you know, that they've got the arm strength and just the, the, you know, all the things that they need to be successful. All of that said, you know, as, as interesting as any of them is Tabor fast, who's already gotten some, some conversation here. He carried a three or four inning load, I think last week in the inner squad um, when he wasn't playing first. And so you, usually when guys are up there in that three to four inning load, you know, they're, they're sort of grooming them. They're grooming them to obviously be more than a one inning guy, you know, pitch once a weekend. And, you know, we, we've got him, us just here tonight, talking about him in the first base mix because he can hit and a really interesting player. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to be one bit surprised if he starts one of these four games this week, maybe Monday, or just carries, carries a load. Um, you know, carries an inning load. And, uh, if he's, if he's starting by the end of the year, you know, we don't, we've obviously got four games this week, no midweek, and then four more the next week, followed by a two game midweek. And so there's going to be kind of a, a typical coach Tadlock schedule, a bunch of games, a bunch of opportunities to get guys out there. And I think, uh, Tabor will be, um, you know, getting a, a fairly prominent uh, workload here early and uh, you know who, who knows but he's there's a ton of pitchability there and I'm sure he's only going to get stronger as he goes and uh, you know so two of the three names that we spoke of here you know fairly prominently the, the right-hander was drafted and the other two good-looking left-handers yep yeah Keith uh, I'm, I'm kind of along the lines with Gus in that I'm looking at the three newcomer left-handers and and for and for this reason outside of Mesa Belita the only other left-handers you have on the roster coming back are Derek Bridges, who we do is who we know is going to be out for a while, um, and then Brendan Lysick and Garrett Crowley, neither of whom you got just a whole lot out of 
last year for for various reasons. Either they were ineffective, uh, you know, Crowley struggled with his command, and so if if you if you don't get much out of those two those three this year, then you need the three newcomer left-handers to really step up, and that's uh, Hudson Luce, who's a junior college kid out of uh, Atascacita through Temple College, and then Zach Erdman and Tabor Fast. You, you're going to need to get some innings out of your left-handers to avoid being so right-hand dominant. So, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, whether that's starting, which, which we've seen fast, you know, probably be able to do, you know, I thought, you know, I think Erdman's had some good, uh, good outings here in the spring. And then so, and so is Hudson Luce. So, uh, you, you, I, I'm kind of looking at those three to maybe, you know, be three guys who really have the opportunity to step in and play a major, major role, uh, going forward this season. Yeah, because they are, the the space exists for them to do that for gaps yeah. to fill. Don't want to go by Hudson Loose without saying that he's six seven two ten. Yeah, so the, <laughs> he's at least the first dude off the bus, if nothing else. And I, I'm going to throw one more guy out there, and I'm not saying he's lighting the world on fire. I've just been interested watching him. Is Nolan Foster? Nobody looks more like a high school guy than Nolan Foster. I mean, he looks like a kid. He's listed six three one seventy four. I think that's a lie. Um, but kid out of McKinney Boyd, not a highly rated kid. I mean, he's, he's a nine grade perfect game player, but you know, in the, in the mid fifties, as far as right-handers in Texas, you know, coming out of high school, but I've enjoyed seeing him go out there as a guy that looks that young and he's had some good innings, particularly in the last time we saw him, I thought he, he did some good things. Now I'm not saying that he's about to go be a Friday night starter. I'm just interested in and you guys took all the good ones. So and Jacob Jacob Rogers, another good looking right hander. The comp for me is Ty Harpin on just in the way he sets up and the body type and all. You know, it's, I'm I'm like you. Is he going to carry a prominent role? I can't sit here and predict that. But high school teammates and battery mates with Dylan Maxey at Friendswood, yep. another Friendswood kid. Yep. Yeah, I was just about to mention Jacob Rogers as well. I think he's had some really good outings later, uh, late in the spring that uh, that really kind of put him in position to maybe play a, a, a significant role this year. So I have one very particular question. If you're setting the lineup for just this weekend, just make it a general, it doesn't have to be one particular day, who's your leadoff hitter? <laughs> Ooh. I'm going Nolan Hester. That's that's my leadoff guy right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you, you certainly got a veteran guy that knows how to separate balls and strikes there, and you know the the only and it looks like, um, you know, I, I think there may be some matchup aspects to that as well, because um, you know, um, the, but the the Zags' best pitcher, their best starter is a right hander. And so, you know, that may very well play into that matchup and wouldn't surprise me one bit because he's, uh, you know, veteran guy. You don't see a lot of strikeouts there and just, you know, might, might be the perfect guy to handle it. Certainly won't be a base clogger. He's not the jet that a couple of these other guys are. But, you know, I'll be curious how Dylan Carter's used. You know, D.C. may be right back in the nine hole where he was a bunch last year, but he's, you know, different looking hitter. Too so uh, you know there may there may be some punch down there from him which is just fine. I was going to say Dylan Carter too, and and one on the hitting, but uh, watching him put together some really competitive at bats, work a bunch of walks. You know, I just think he's a guy that's finding a way to get on base right now, and and 
those competitive at bats, I think, say a whole lot about you know where he is right now mentally and and as you said, separating balls and strikes. So I, I'm interested to see that too. But I'm not going to lie on Sunday watching Dylan Maxey reach out of the zone and, <laughs> and, and slap something down the right field line a la Gabe Holt, you know, it just made me think, hey, now I don't know if you need a guy that's hitting double-digit bombs out there, not to jinx the kid or anything, but if you need the power guy. But, yeah, I, I think that there are many, many options. I like Hester and, and Carter for those. I mean, uh, yeah, Harrelson's a prototype. I mean, Harrelson may be the best Gabe Holt comp there is in terms of yeah. – left-handed guy sort of a slasher and he can really run uh, there's there's no telling but again I we don't know who's in the lineup yet <laughs> and so I, I don't know what to what to expect but um, it's it's uh, I mean it's one of the many reasons I'm I'm always excited for the season but I'm so intrigued by this year's group and then you know this thing's I, I just you know people ask me all the time of course I'm doing local radio and that you know that what that sort of entails, and all the conversation about this. This team could be ten and zero. It could be six and four. You know, out of the gate. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just as as they sort of find themselves and get roles figured out and whatnot. But heck, uh, you know, I'm 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 excited for every bit of it. They could play themselves right into being you know right where everyone in the in the country is interested in them, or they could play themselves into. Uh, you know, to, to sort of s- slow start and, and set themselves up hopefully for a run later on as, as the dust settles. But I, I don't know what we've got here, but it's a really intriguing group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping the thing that just crossed my brain is, is as I'm hoping that there's not so much youth in it, that they have the struggles like basketball has. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah. But, you know, but, but it could very well, it could very well happen. But, you know, then again, it could be a team that, that we can see just could absolutely take off and like you say, guys go ten and zero, go you know fifteen and zero, open the conference with two straight victory, uh, series victories. Who knows for this team? That's that's I think that's both the exciting and the scary part of this season is nobody knows. Yep, I think there's, and this is the type, this is the thing in sports that I like, and that it makes hardcore numbers people roll their eyes. But I'm a chemistry guy, and and I think that the secret sauce to what this coaching staff has done, you know, over the last 10 years, walking to 11 years is, is chemistry and culture fit. And I remember particularly with Gage Harrelson coaches saying to us, to me, Hey, red Raiders are going to love this kid. They're going to love his family. He is a perfect fit for our, our culture. And I've heard him like you hear him on deck. He's kind of a vocal kid. He's easygoing and, and seem and he seems very coachable. I've noticed that with Will Burns, very coachable, lots of one on one, soaking it up, soaking it up on deck from Huddy talking about pitchers. I mean, I, I sense chemistry about this team, and I think that you know the years that have been less successful for Texas Tech. Not that they like ran around hating each other, but it didn't all quite click. And I just sense. I smell a little bit of chemistry, and I and I hope that that bodes really well for them as they grow up and and figure out how to play together. Yep, I'm with you. I'm, uh, yeah. yeah, and I know. Yeah, it sounds like uh, yeah, heard, heard great things about the so many of these families and just different things. And you know, I know where they can come get a beer post game. I know that. <laughs> I know. I know where there's some guys that'll stand around and talk some baseball with them after the oh, game. Yeah. <laughs> 
No doubt. All right. So one more of those questions. And then, um, I, I have a, a cut. So there's a couple other things we can talk about. Um, base stealing been a hallmark of this team back in kind of in those 18, 19 Gabe Holt kind of years. Um, didn't see as much of it last year. Athletically, I think you've taken a step forward. So obviously there's some burners. We talked about some speed, but that's not the only thing that matters when you're stealing bases. So in y'all's perspectives, kind of watching these guys, who are who are who is the one or the ones that you feel like are I mean are are bringing it out there right now and and I say that that way because I know we all talked about it like Gabe walked out day one and he just had yeah. that instinct you know do you see yeah. that type of instinct from anybody or you know not the wasted mechanics or whatever I mean right. some guys you can be as fast as can be and just don't know how to do it quite yet yeah and some and some guys just don't have a base stealing mentality and I say that you know that 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 and some guys are really antsy to run and and you know, maybe don't have the speed, but they're better base stealers than some other guys that can, can really run and never really steal bases effectively. And there's there's some things that can go into that. I don't know. Maybe to me, the best base stealing just package and instinct appears to be Jarrett Curtis, which uh, you know it's it's nice to be able to say that because I know he's he's antsy to run um, and and he obviously can fly. And so that that's a good thing, um, you know. That that he, he would probably be my guy. But it, of of the what you're talking about there, um, you know, the, the 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 there are other guys. I think this has a chance to be a pretty good group of runners. Obviously, if you get Hester, and I mean, uh, if you if, well, Hester Hester runs okay as well. But if you get a Harrelson Curtis Carter outfield in there. This the team offensive, the team speed's pretty dang good. Uh, you know, the only guy in the whole shooting match that, that maybe doesn't run well. You know, I don't. I don't think Ty Coleman's very fast just to begin with, and and he he may still be protecting hamstrings and doing those kind of things. But I mean, when your catcher runs like Hudson White, you know that that sort of thing. I, I don't know that there's burners in there b- beyond. The, the couple that we've talked about, but I also don't know that, that it's a clogger situation. And last year's last year was a, there was a bit of a clogger situation and it wasn't that those guys didn't run well, but Morell with the hamstrings early. Yeah. Morell and Coleman with the ham, with hamstrings early and they were playing prominent roles. So they were on base a ton. Uh, certainly in Morell's case, he was on base a ton and you, you couldn't really, you couldn't really, work a lot without them. And so when they were on, it was hard to go first and third. It was hard to score from second, some of those things, until later on, Morrell got it going pretty good. But, uh, you know, and, and Morrell will return to left field and was running around making diving catches in the regional and and those things. But, uh, you know, I, I think this year's, this year's team presents much more um, just overall team speed and, and probably some athleticism, mm-hmm. how much that translates into a bunch of stolen base guys. You know, if, if, if Curtis isn't in the lineup every day, then I don't know that he's going to steal 30 bases and get up there and gave Holt territory. If he's in the lineup every day and productive and on base and just, you know, commands a spot in the lineup, man, he could, he could steal a ton. Yeah. I think what I think as tar- in far as stolen bases go, I think that's obviously going to be determined by who's going to be in the lineup, like Gus said. If if guys like Harrelson and Curtis are in there, you know, on a consistent basis, you might not have as many. But I think what you'll have, no matter who's in the lineup, 
is you're going to have guys that will know how to run. And and I can see Tim maybe putting a lot more action plays in uh, with this group, you know, uh, you know, some, some hit and runs, uh, like, you know, the first or third, you know, being able to score from first on a double. I, th- I think, you know, you've got guys up and down the lineup that will be able to do that. So I think that that aspect of the running game is going to put a lot more of the pressure on opposing defenses maybe than the stolen bases will. I don't, you know, I'm not saying they won't steal bases, and, you know, I think they will. But I think, I think you're going to have an overall better running game from all aspects other than just stealing bases for this group. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we saw a good little example of that on, on Sunday, you know, a, a, a shot to right field scores Curtis pretty easily from second base. And last year, you know, you need another hit to get that done. Um, and, and to, to tack on to what you were saying, Gus, Jace Young also dragging a leg around all yeah, year. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you're right. I mean, Easton Morrell was on base all the time, partly because he got hit by 27 pitches last year. He's one shy of, of tying Nick Blankenship's record from 0-2. So, yeah, Dr. Plunkenstein over there, always <laughs> on base. But anybody, anything else? What are we forgetting? There's a lot. It's exciting. You were talking, Gus, about, um, you know, maybe – Maybe ten and zero, maybe not playing yourself into this or out of that, and and it made me kind of want to move over towards the schedule. You know, this team got RPI hammered last year. You know, you lose on the road to New Mexico, you lose on the road to uh, Abilene Christian, you lose both at Grand Canyon. Which, uh, I mean, a good team, a good, a pretty good RPI team, but none of it helped you, and you end up, you know, on the road for a regional for the first time since fourteen. So. This schedule seems built to counteract that, you know, recognizing that. I mean, they certainly are aware of the RPI and the weight it has in the postseason and how important it is to be able to host. So kind of some general schedule thoughts from y'all is, is what I'm really trying to get to. Yeah, Gonzaga's – I mean, Gonzaga's a highlight. I mean, uh, you know, ton of home games, more t- more home games than Tim's ever scheduled. And and, and some of that was – I think. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, some of that was a, a function. I think I think Tim counted it out at the at the luncheon about you know three of those uh, um, were return games from Iowa, uh, um, a couple of return games from from Grand Canyon from last year, and then um, got a, got a waiver to play games during final exams this year. Which obviously those those have to be at home, and so there was eight games that really sort of swung it from being more balanced schedule to a bunch of home games. Uh, the, uh, but you know, that this, uh, Gonzaga thing, there was a good write up. There's a good article in the, um, the athletic this week. And it was a interview with a bunch of coaches, just about the best player that they, you know, that around the various leagues and, you know, who's coming back and who's best pitcher coming back. And I think Josh Holl, uh, Josh holiday was the, interview from uh, the big 12 and uh and you know and so you, and, and there was a good spread all throughout the the regions and throughout the country and the, and one of the things was uh, you know name a really good team that i don't remember how they worded it but sort of dark horse in other words everybody not picking lsu you know because they're they're everyone's number one for under understandable and uh, money can buy yes and and two of the teams that were mentioned by coaches Gonzaga and Iowa, and I thought, well, well, <laughs> and Josh, you know, and Josh, Josh mentioned TCU being very good, and 
um, you know, the, 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 the obviously Stanford's in there again, it it wasn't about the Stanford's that's preseason, I think number three and LSU, it was more of a, who else is good kind of a thing in your area. And when Iowa and Gonzaga were two of the selections of these eight coaches, I thought, well, you know, this, this, this schedule has its own challenges, obviously going to Minute Maid and, and squaring off with Michigan Rice and then A&M, that'll be, that'll be huge and get a ton of eyeballs. A&M's outstanding, loaded, et cetera. So um, that, that one will, that one will have a ton of, uh, you know, that one will be a, a, a great cause, a tremendous cause for uh, overreaction, whether it's you know, to the good or bad because a lot of folks that may or may not tune into a bunch of other stuff are going to have some sort of an eyeball on that and I don't necessarily mean be in attendance or watching the game but just you know be very aware of that result yeah I mean I, I don't know if I can add anything you know on top of what Gus said that's it's a it's like I said it's, it's a very home oriented lineup or, or schedule because of the return trips from Iowa from Grand Canyon in in the deal during the during the finals. So, uh, you know, it's I, I think it's in a, in a way it's probably helpful that because there are so many young guys, so many new guys on this team to have, especially early on in the season, a lot of home games stacked together to kind of maybe get their feet wet before they really have to go out on the road and and and, and play uh, to to be able to do that at home. I think is going to help these guys a lot. Uh, kind of get the feel for Division One baseball and kind of see what it's like before they really get tested uh, once the Big 12 Conference comes. So you've got 10 at home, Gonzaga, Western Illinois, and, and a two-game against Air Force in the midweek. You go to Minute Made for three that, that Gus mentioned, and then you're back at home for New Mexico, three against Iowa, two UT Arlington, and then you open Big 12 play at home against Oklahoma State before you truly hit the road for the first time and you go to Texas. You're front loaded in the Big 12, you know, and your early season is very important as you're talking about Minute made. And I think people will look past tournaments to some extent as far as, hey, it's early season, that kind of stuff. But Iowa, very quality opponent, as you were just talking about, Gus. Then Oklahoma State, Texas, TCU are your first three series, and they're right at the top of the conference preseason standings along with, with Texas Tech in those top four. So to me, when I look towards the end, you know, where you're finishing with West Virginia, Kansas, K-State, Sam Houston is who you're playing at home during finals. I wonder, two of your most important outings uh, could be at Stanford in a two-game midweek in April and then hosting those two against Grand Canyon because you kind of go down a little bit in competition following those. Now, conference competition is always tough, but, you know, you're certainly seeing the class early which isn't the best situation for brand new young team. And so, you know, they kind of need to grow up in a hurry. Yeah. The sequencing of that schedule when we first got eyes on it was <laughs> sort of alarming because, you know, the preseason coaches poll one through five are our first four weekends. Uh, obviously we were picked at third, you know, and so it's like, we're, you talk about, you know, right, right into the frying pan, and then it, it 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 I don't know that it was a perfect um, alignment with the preseason conference poll. It was pretty close um, in yeah. terms of who you play and when. It's it's you pick from the top of the list and play your way down. Uh, the other team I overlooked that was mentioned in that thing was Grand Canyon, here for a two game 
midweek. Uh, they have uh, one of the top shortstop, if not the top shortstop in the country. Um, Wilson, the son of a big leaguer, Team USA guy, another top 100 outfielder and Homer Bush Jr. And you know what? They worked the Red Raiders over twice out there last year in Arizona in midweeks. And it was at the point at which it started to feel like, Hey, the, 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 the opportunity to host is slipping away uh, because, you know, you go out there and get whacked twice. And so, uh, you know, that, that's a, that's a really good club. Now they lost their head coach, you know, coach Stankiewicz moved over to USC. Um, so, you know, he, he's obviously put to, he obviously put together a good roster there and, um, you know that that's you know the the Red Raiders owe them, and that's that is not going to be an easy easy task. And there may be some RB, RPI juice out of playing those dudes because you know they're going to run around and play good people in their non conference. I would assume uh, the I would assume that uh, they'll get plenty of uh, Southern California and their Arizona schools, and that's that's plenty good. Yeah, as far as the Big Twelve schedule though goes. I mean, you you, t- you mentioned it. It's stacked in the front with the top the for the for the top five teams you know around Tech. You get the top two teams uh, in that poll at home in Oklahoma State and TCU this year. So that obviously will help. And and another thing interesting, and I know some people might might guffaw at this or whatever, but to me, a key thing is you have to go on the road at Kansas State and West Virginia. But you do that in late April and mid May, where it won't be so brutally cold like it usually is when you go to Manhattan, Kansas and Morgantown, West Virginia. So, uh, I, you know, it's, I think it's a, it's a good schedule for this group. I really do not only the, the front end, the home games, but I think the way the conference, uh, the schedule sets up, get everything, get the hard ones out of the way first. If you can do some damage in that, then you're really set up to have a really, really good stretch, uh, not only in non-conference games, but in conference games as well. And to your point, Gus, I'm looking at Grand Canyon's schedule. They're opening in the desert in Phoenix. They've got Tennessee, Michigan, UC San Diego, Michigan State that they'll be facing in that tournament. They've got a round robin with Gonzaga and Ohio State. And then they've got a, a road three game with Texas State, who definitely made some big noise last year. They've got an Arizona game. And then they get into their own conference play. Um, and this is a five-game trip for them because they'll be coming to Abilene Christian before they come to Lubbock. Um, they're there the weekend before. So, okay. yeah, there's definitely – oh, and they've got an Arizona State mixed in there before they go to ACU. So that's what they built the RPI on for themselves last year, some of those big one-game uh, wins and midweeks and things like that. But they've got some definite potentials as far as big opponents for sure. All right. One last thing I wanted to talk about, guys, before we wrap it up. Let's talk about the ballpark. Some new stuff going on out there that we've seen kind of going on and going around. Um, one thing that people probably haven't seen, not a major upgrade, but the uh, the overhang, the awning, all the material has been replaced. It's not orange anymore. Now it's it's back to red. It's no longer sun bleached and covered in bird poop and whatever else was wrong with it. I think it had gotten some holes in it. So that's all replaced. And uh Getting a couple of new foul poles as well. Uh, fingers crossed that you have both. It looks like that's probably going to happen, but 40-foot foul poles going in, and they have deepened the visitor's dugout. So it's, you know, you can have a couple guys throwing and room to sit and all that kind of bullpen, stuff. Bullpen, not dugout, bullpen. bullpen I'm yeah. sorry, I said dugout. Yeah, yeah. visitor's bullpen. Thank you. Deepen the visitor's there. bullpen. Yeah, why would you have Yeah, two guys throwing in the dugout? No big deal. Um, but obviously the biggest project going on is the new – um, 
new players facility over there that's being built right now. Um, Gus, do you want to? And we all got to, we all got to look at it a little bit in its in its rough construction phases, and they'll be finishing it in the spring. But you want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure. Yeah, it's, I think it's a fourteen million dollar project, and it was a construction site this time last year. They were scratching around with it this time last year. Um, but obviously, we're talking about the left field corner, and uh, you know, the, when we're sitting in the stands and we look out there and see foul balls getting bounced off of that thing. Um, really none of that's going to change in terms of, you know, the same skyline and the same, the same wall that runs parallel to the um, left field foul line down there, that, that existing structure, the exterior of that and the roof line of that isn't going to change. What they've done in the last year is build everything around it and literally adjacent to it and next to it, like walls that used to be outside getting sunshine and rain and, wind and whatever else are now interior um, because there's been a new building essentially built around it. That's going to be, as you said, I think that's probably been roughed in by now. They were waiting on glass when we were there three weeks ago or so. And uh, driving by this weekend, I saw glass on the front and I think that they're probably in the dry, even if they don't have all the glass, they'll do plywood and start finishing yep. sheetrock and, yeah, and start, start doing interiors and stuff. But you know, when we walked around the walls were up and, um, you know, certainly nothing decorative or anything, none of the aesthetic, but, uh, we were getting, we got a pretty good tour from Billy Breedlove and he was, he was showing us renderings and different things. And you could really see the, you know, here, here's where the locker room's going to be and, and the walls and the size of it and everything. And then look at a rendering and, uh, you know, the, the utility of all of that for all of those good people, Shashir and Simpson and, you know, and, and, you know, just the storage and, um, you know, even a nutrition space and on and on and on, um, underwater treadmills and things, whirlpools and those kind of things, which right now they would go to, they would go over to the, uh, you know, to the, to, to really access that sort of thing over in the, you know, over by the football stadium, essentially a football training facility and the sports performance center to access underground treadmills and, you know, the sort of rehabs that, that go on with guys with hamstrings, for example, since we were talking about that. And now, uh, um, you know, that's going to be able to be done right there on site. And uh, it's, it's a big spacious, going to be beautiful. We've seen a bunch of the, the aesthetic of the lobby. You know, when you walk in, you're going to be walking in a door that faces over towards Jones stadium and basically off to the Northeast, that'll be the front door. And you walk into a, a cool, <laughs> essentially a home plate shaped lobby. But, uh, and in that will be a trophy space and video walls and, you know, per, I don't know exactly how they're going to size it all up, but, you know, maybe some renderings of some guys, Red Raiders pitching in the big leagues and playing in the big leagues and different things. Just going to be a really attractive entry, much like what you see at the Womble, the basketball facility. And I'm sure it'll probably resemble in some some respects. I think the same company is going to be used also for the Womble football Um um, you know, and, and again, I'm, and then, you know, you go into the, um, the football, I mean, excuse me, the baseball into the locker room, they're going to be a great big double T. And so, you know, some of that stuff is what you need to be able to show, uh, you know, recruits and just to say, Hey, we're, we're invested here as if the college world series signs and the big 12 championships and things like that aren't enough, but still, um, and then, and then, uh, but, but in terms of timing, that stuff will get 
supposedly get roughed in March, April, or get get completed March and April um, of this year. Uh, Tim says they're not going to leave the existing locker room space. Everything inside that locker room when you walk in hasn't changed. Um, from where it was, they'll just stay in there and keep working. And then as soon as the season's over this summer, they'll get all of their stuff out of there, move it into the new space. And then the existing building down there will be gutted again, existing walls, same roof, same everything, but all of those, you know, everything from the lockers to the toilets, to all, all of that showers, Shashir storage area, all of those interior walls going to be knocked down and it's just going to be straight up uh, batting cages and, and pitching mounds and all the performance things, the cameras and the spin rates and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, all of that should be done in the context of the summer, June, July, August. And so next fall, the entire space should be inhabitable. And I'm sure, I, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I would guess there's going to be a, a cool you know, opportunity for past player cutting into a re- kind of thing. Yeah, re- you know, an open house type thing, maybe a maybe a letter winners reunion or something like that, which would be a lot of fun. But for folks, the guys will be able to come back and see that, you know, and and uh, just show it off because it's it's uh, you know it's going to become a, a showpiece. It's going you know there there's all the coaches stuff, you know, all the there's a whole wall of coaches offices and coach Tadlocks looks out over the left field corner and that new a patio and the left field foul pole and all that stuff. And so, um, you know, a, a real opportunity to change the game from where those guys are walking back and forth from their offices up there in the right field corner and down to the, to the left field corner essentially and moving back and forth. It's going to, it's going to be a lot more functional than it's been for sure. I just wanted to mention one thing from the fan side that a different look, at least, as with what Gus is talking about. Coach Tadlock's office, yeah, there on that left field side, he'll have a patio. There's a brick wall around it. So you'll see some more wall kind of coming off of the left side of that visitor's bullpen, um, you know, that'll be padded up and everything, but a little bit different look in the corners as far as kind of protecting around that, that patio area. Uh, but, George, I was curious from your side, just impressions of that thing. And what you think, what you thought of it, and and functionality, and you know, just all that side of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, it, it's a first class facility all the way. In in a lot of ways, I likened it to the Womble without the basketball mm-hmm. courts. You know, it, I, I think it has everything that the Womble has, except for the practice facility, the practice, uh, you know, space that they really don't need because that's what they had the field for. So, and then they they will get that space. Once they renovate the 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 current clubhouse, and, you know, gut all that out and turn all that into cages and, and experimentation type of areas and, and stuff like that. So I think by the time it's all said and done, it will be very comparable to what basketball does have with the Womble right now, uh, and, and it's just going to be first class all the way in terms of you know amenities and what the guys need, uh, you know, and, and what you know it's going to be a major major uh, recruiting tool. The, the coaches can use and bring in and say, you know, welcome right in that door. And you've got a guy like Josh Young, a big Josh Young mural on one wall, a big Parker Mashinsky mural on the other wall. And you say, see, you want to be like these guys? You want your mural on the wall? You can come here and be that guy too. So I think, you know, from a current player and from a future player perspective, it is absolutely first class all the way. I agree. Yeah. I was very impressed with it. And, um, 
I've been I've been pretty vocal. I mean, I'm on I'm in the camp of hey, let's build a ballpark. But I think that what they're doing with this thing and 14 million plus dollars, it is it's first class. Gus is right. Yeah, using the uh, the same company that that did the Womble and did such a good job. I did that in one of the public open house walkthrough things and really just absolutely nailed it. Both sides, men's and women's, they're very different. They reflect the culture of those two different programs and the history of them kind of differently and. Um, I think that they're gonna they're gonna nail this one too. It's gonna look really good, and I I don't think you can overstate how important and what and how much it shows the commitment to baseball when you talk about the additions to this. Because anybody that's been in the existing clubhouse, some cages they can throw outside a little bit. There's a locker room. The locker room's pretty nice, but limited in space. And now all of a sudden you're going into first class facilities from Shashir equipment management all the way through you know, training and health and all of that and having all of that in-house and the commitment it takes to do all of that, I mean, I think is is a big, big deal. And they walk out the front door and the Cash Family Nutrition Center is literally right in front of them across the street. So instead of, and I don't think, a lot of people probably don't realize, you know, in other sports, when it's not football, basketball, you are going to other facilities for training table and and that some of the different things you have to do and and some of the physical stuff that you need and and some of that and now they're going to have it right there on site and uh, it, it's no small feat to put whirlpools and under underwater treadmills into a facility so I think it's pretty impressive even to the point they have you know private exam rooms and stuff for for doctor exams and big injuries and that kind of stuff that it's all there so they've really uh they didn't miss on anything and, and we just saw it rough I'm excited to see it finished Yep. All right, boys. Anything else? Final thoughts? No, sir. I'm ready to go. We're recording on Tuesday night. We'll get this thing out to y'all and uh and first pitch, one o'clock on Friday. I'll echo Coach Tadlock's sentiments of the tailgate dinner. They understand you can't always make it at, you know, two thirty on a Wednesday to a midweek game, but there's no excuse for not being an opening day. That's a perfect reason to take a half a day off of work and go watch the Red Raiders twenty twenty three take on Gonzaga at one o'clock. So also Little little plug to stick out there. If you want to go to a game, look at at Gus twenty six on Twitter. We've always got tickets available. You know, of some stripe to at least get you in the ballpark and get to go watch a game. I mean, if they're going unused, get out there and and, and go claim one and go watch a game. I mean, let's fill the, the Rip Griffin Park up and make it the best atmosphere we possibly can. Yep, and to the folks that uh, have tickets and can't use them, use that little transfer feature on the ticket app because you can give them to anyone basically who all they have to do is give you their phone number. You don't have to give them your phone number. So it's not like you're opening up the door to, you know, a bunch of invasion of privacy. Just find someone who will take them, punch in their phone number and get those, get those tickets transferred and get, uh, you know, cause not everybody can make all 37 games for sure, but don't let those tickets, uh, you know, sit in that app and get unused. Yeah. Let's fill some seats. No yep. doubt. Well, boys, thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for all the, the good memories over, over scrimmages. Let's make some more watching some actual baseball happen. I like it. Oh, do y'all want to, you want to tell the people where they can find you social media? Um, you said mine Gus, at G U S two six Gus 26 on Twitter and plenty of ESPN plus coming this year too. Right Gus. Yep, I think we're. I think we've got all the home games except for three, is what I was told. Uh, and I think this coming Saturday is one of those. And those the the games that aren't broadcast, uh, 
um, have to do with on-campus ESPN Plus conflicts. Like there's a, a women's basketball game utilizing the ESPN Plus, you know, all the cameras and control rooms and that stuff opposite our game this coming Saturday, the Gen- Saturday Gonzaga game. But and then I don't I don't remember what the other You've two got games the Baylor were. Friday night's an ESPN U game, right? Exactly. I that one. Yep. George, where are you at? Yeah, uh, at TTU Jorge as always. I mean, you know, I, I try not to get people to find me. I try to stay hidden, but, you know, you know, it, it, it does work that way. Y'all go check out RedRaiderDugout.com, too. George made capsules for every Big 12 team. You can go look ahead, see what they've got coming back and all that kind of stuff, too, and see what uh, – look ahead to the Big 12. Those are under the schedule tab on there. But thank you, boys. Thanks for talking and uh, looking forward to a good season. Yes, sir. We'll see you at the park. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Red Raider Dugout. And find more great tech baseball coverage at RedRaiderDugout.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back soon with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then... Wreck'em Tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust. That's a dead man or a gringo like me. Be the first one to fire. Every man is a liar. There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me 